Hey friend, how you going? My name is Joe Bekmotsky and welcome to Simplify Cancer podcast. I'm really excited about the podcast you're going to hear today. It's an interview with Mike Craycraft, who is the uh, head of Testicular Cancer Society and a fantastic guy. I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of it. So let's get into it. Mike, thank you so much for doing this. I've been really, really looking forward to it. Mike, can you please tell me about yourself? Sure. Um, uh, my name is Mike Craycraft. I'm a clinical pharmacist by trade and also a testicular cancer survivor. I was diagnosed in 2006 and then uh, founded the Testicular Cancer Society um, after my diagnosis just uh, because there weren't a whole bunch of resources available back then. So when I felt like with my survivor experience and healthcare knowledge, perhaps I could help make a difference. Thanks, Mike. And uh, I know that you waited like for over seven months from when you first felt a lump in your testicle um, until you went to the doctor. Like, what was the time like? What like what was going through your head? Uh, it, it was like a vicious cycle. So I, I would uh, actually get hot flashes at night, and so my my scrotum would get looser, and I could, you know, feel the lump, and then. Uh, I check myself. I think I'm going to call the doctor in the morning, and I check myself in the shower, and I wouldn't feel it. And then I go to work, and I wouldn't remember to call until it was noon, and the doctor's office was closed. So I think, okay, well after lunch I'll call, and then I wouldn't remember again till six o'clock at night when the doctor's office was called, and it just became this vicious cycle of just delaying, delaying, delaying. Um, you know, I, I had a whole bunch of things going on, uh, obviously with with the holidays, with Christmas, with New Year's, my dad's birthday. So I kept thinking, okay, well, after this, you know, I'll go to the doctor. I really don't want to come home for Christmas and say, you know, Merry Christmas, your son has cancer. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the next thing I know, I, you know, it was pretty quick that I realized that my delay probably meant that I had metastatic disease and I convinced myself that I would die as a young man uh, to the point that I even threw my own going away party. Um, I went back home for uh, our Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S. and um, asked a friend what bar I could have. I'm going to rent it out and buy all the drinks and figured in a couple of months my friends would realize that I had cancer and was dying. So it, it was quite a hellish period for those seven months, just not sharing with anybody, not friends, family, doctor, uh, just keeping quiet and, and literally living like I was dying. Oh, horrible. I mean, it just drives you crazy, doesn't it? It's a very lonely period, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm probably one of the few people that when they finally the doctor said you have cancer, uh, felt some kind of relief. Um, you know, most of the people are, are shocked, and I was just like, okay, well, I've, <laughs> I've known this. Um, so you're saying I'm going to live? Okay, well, this is great. Can I get some money back because I just blew a whole bunch <laughs> of money in the last seven months? And by the way, I didn't get any back, so don't do what I did. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're probably one of the very few people to say that. Yeah, but I know that it can play, uh, your, your mind just plays tricks on you. I know that when I was, um, as you obviously know, I also had testicular cancer. And when I was in the shower and I, and I reached down and, and I found it, like, I think the fact that, uh, really helped me was that I was, I'm a complete hypochondriac. So the next thing I did the next day was <laughs> run to the doctor immediately because I was 100% convinced that this was cancer. Uh, but yeah, I know, I know what you mean about like, uh, you know, you touch it the next day and you, and it's not there. It's, and you start doubting yourself. It's like, like your mind starts, starts playing all these crazy, crazy games on you. 
Yeah, yeah. It just, um, you know, it, it seemed like it, it just was a vicious cycle. I mean, some of it was was fear, some of it was denial, uh, but the biggest aspect then, a whole churning in the cycle was really not wanting to upset others. Um, you know, I knew I was coming home for Thanksgiving and my friends are getting married. How can I ruin their wedding by telling everyone that I think I have cancer? You know, how can I do it at Christmas or New Year's and my dad's 60th birthday in January? Um, you know, it just kept perpetuating uh, until finally uh, I had a, a guy's trip to Costa Rica to go surfing. And I figured I wanted to learn how to surf. And if I was going to die and people thought I was a surfer, maybe I'd be cooler. So uh, that was my last trip. And I said, OK, before I even leave, I'm booking an appointment for two days after I get back. So I had to go once I got back from that trip. Um, but that was June uh, and it had started in October. So, yeah, absolutely. So and, and once you found out that you had cancer, so how did you break the news to, to um, your friends, your family? What was that like? Well, at first, before my orchiectomy, before the testicles were removed and we knew 100 percent it was cancer, uh, I still kind of kept it quiet. Um, I said something to my parents. I debated saying something to my sister and my dad convinced me I should because if I didn't, uh, maybe she'd think I was hiding something from her. Um, and, and then literally right when I went in and, and the doctor first said I had cancer, I came back the next day and uh, some friends of mine were playing music on stage and I ended up jumping up on stage and making some just ridiculous <laughs> comments about uh, I'm pulling a Lance Armstrong and if anyone finds my testicle in the sand to bring it back to me. Uh, and no one even got what I said except for one friend who immediately started crying, you know, knowing that I was saying that I, that I had cancer. Um, once the pathology came back, then it was, you know, open season. I, I didn't mind who knew or anything else. I, I just didn't want to be that guy maybe that had a testicle removed and it came back normal. Um, looking back even then, who cares? Uh, that's great news. <laughs> you know, yep. Hey, you lost a testicle. Great news. You don't have cancer. Um, but yeah, w once I got it, the official news, it, it pretty much the floodgates opened. And uh, how did people react? Like, were they supportive? Were they shocked? Uh, like, what was it like? Uh, well, I actually have a funny story for you. So, uh, I guess I was being annoying one evening and my friends, uh, one friend drew a, a stick figure with these round glasses on. I had these round glasses and they used to call me Smithers from the Simpsons TV show. <laughs> uh, and so it was a stick figure of me with tire tracks running across it. And on the top, it said, kill Smithers. Um, and so they all thought it was funny. I didn't know anything about it. And they got these t-shirts printed up, um, not knowing that next thing I know, I say I have cancer and now they don't know what to do with the t-shirts. They ended up all putting them on and showing up to the, to the beach bar one night and, uh, or one day actually and surprising me. So, uh, it, it was all literally fun and games after that. My parents had traveled to Maine and came back right after my diagnosis with a t-shirt of a some squirrels on a branch and a nut had fallen off and there's a big pile of nuts on the branch and it says it's all fun and games <laughs> someone loses a nut and my mom gives it to me and, and asks is this too soon it's like no <laughs> that's, uh, that's fantastic. so besides the humor everybody was um you know in incredibly um you know helpful accepting uh, all those kind of things i had friends house that i stayed at uh for six weeks that year because uh, i would come back home to cincinnati and and stay with them. So uh, people just bend over backwards, really, to help. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And is there anything, Mike, like in hindsight, that 
you would have done differently. I mean, I guess uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, you know, waiting all this time. I mean, that must have been excruciating. Yeah, um, you know, that's the biggest thing. I mean, looking back in retrospect, I'm glad I did it because I did have an experience that was unlike anyone else. Um, but I also somehow lucked out and was still stage one, um, which is pretty amazing. You know, really looking back using some common sense. No, I, I should have gone to the doctor right away in October when I first felt a lump and, and really saved myself the, uh, the mental just, uh, beat down that I, that I gave to myself. Um, but during that process, I also kind of accepted the fact that I was going to die. I didn't want to die, but I accepted it. And in, in my mind, it was just as real as anybody with a terminal diagnosis. Um, yep. you know, I went, I went through that process. Um, and w when I was going through it, I kept thinking, you know, I've had a pretty incredible life. Um, you know, of course people have had much better lives than I have, but other people haven't. And, and when I was trying to figure out why is my life so great, it really came down to it's it's the people I know and the friends I've met. Um, it's nothing spectacular about me. Uh, and so it just really gave me a, a, a much grander perspective on life and what was important to me. Um, so everything worked out fine. Um, but if I wouldn't have beat myself up for the seven months, that would have helped too. <laughs> Absolutely. So now that, you know, that you've talked about that back then, it's, really changed your perspective in terms of really appreciating uh like you said the the friends the the, the friends you met and, and the people that you have in your life has that been any different now all these years later now that you look back on it as as um as, uh, i guess has your perspective shifted um i don't know that my perspective has shifted that much um i, I do talk about every now and again i don't share it very often with people but you know, when I was first diagnosed, I said, well, I'm going to go live my life every day. Um, and, you know, doing what I do, running a nonprofit organization, uh, I mean, it's not a woe is me, but it's, you know, I look up and I'm like, I, you know, I'm not really living my life every day. Um, you know, when I'm sitting behind a computer, at, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, uh, you know, that's not exactly a good uh, work-life balance, I guess. Um, so, in that aspect, I probably need to to improve on that balance nowadays. But 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 what you're doing now is is really amazing because uh, all, all of your nonprofit work helps helps so many people. And and I think it's a good time to talk about the fact that you you founded the Testicular Cancer Forum and and you've been maintaining it for was it was it ten years now? Uh, well, I didn't actually found it. Uh, it actually was started by a survivor and his buddy. Uh, years ago. Um, I actually joined the forums in 2008. And part of the Testicular Cancer Society was we would tell people to go to the tc-cancer.com forums because that's where all the guys were. There was no reason for us to have something with our name on it to try to reinvent the wheel uh, when everybody was already going there. Uh, and so we were really huge advocates uh, for that. And about five years ago, um, the forums were basically to the point where they're going to be shut down. Uh, they'd had some technical difficulties, and the people that started it, um, it you know, it had put a decade in, basically. Yeah. Um, and so they came to us, and, and I saw the value in it. You know, I would see guys come back years later on a questionable checkup or a second cancer or a relapse or a problem with hormone replacement therapy um, or fertility questions. And, and I wanted to make sure that, that the legacy of the forums were there uh, for those people 
uh, in, in all that gathered knowledge and as well as new people coming. Uh, so we took them over about five years ago. So I've been on them for 10 years now, but really, you know, only been the main oversight for about the last five years. That's so amazing, Mike, because I know that like it helps, it helped me so much when I, when I was looking for support, when I was looking for answers to find people who are going through what you are going through. I mean, it's, it's just, um, uh, amazing. So, so th thank you so much. And, and I guess I want to ask that what is your main motivation for? I guess not only keeping the forums going, but also being so active. I mean, you log in almost every day and, and, and you post and you support people through it. How do, how do you keep it going? Um, you know, I, I guess my goal overall was always to help the next me. Um, and, and so I know how, how I was in 2006. Um, I know how the forums helped me. So um, if I can help the next guy in a little so ways, um, then, it's, then it's worth it. You know, it, it gives me pleasure to be able to do that. I also feel like, like I said before, I'm in a unique position where, you know, I have the healthcare knowledge where, you know, I can reach out to the top experts in the world and have a conversation with them that's so in-depth that uh, it would flabbergast people. And then I can turn around and, you know, being a pharmacist, be able to communicate back down to, you know, the person's level that was just diagnosed, um, which not a lot of healthcare professionals, you know, have that ability, um, you know, to really relate to the public per se um, with the information and also with the feelings, you know, um, and sometimes it gets difficult. Sometimes you lose some empathy along the way, but, um, you know, overall, no, you stop for a second and think, you know, yeah, this person is in my exact shoes that I was. I remember how that feels. Taking two minutes to reply to them, um, you know, really can help make a difference. Yeah, and that is another thing that I really noticed on the forums is that everyone is so supportive. Even if the same questions, uh, you know, from from guys come up, you know, because people go through the same things. Um, people people um, like you, like, like so many others, just respond in such a great, such a positive way, as, as if it's the first time someone, you know, anyone is posting in there. I think that is so fantastic. And I mean, I, I can't encourage people, you know, any more than, than, than I'm trying to do now is I'm trying, what I want to encourage people is to always go to forums like the testicular cancer forum, because I think you, you get so much incredible value and support out of it. You know, <clears throat> nowadays, the, yeah, there's a lot of testicular cancer groups on Facebook. Uh, which is great. You, you can get almost instantaneous reaction. The forums sometimes are a little slow as far as uh, developing the responses. Uh, but what I think is really key about the forums is two things. One, they're completely anonymous. You pick your own username. And we've had situations where there's been people on there that can't use their real name uh, or don't want to use the real name, where Facebook, you kind of have to uh, in these Facebook groups. And secondly, it's searchable. Um, and it's permanent where, you know, Facebook, if someone posted six months ago, uh, it's going to take you an hour and a half to scroll back down and find that information. So um, the forums kind of are an older technology, um, but I think they really are invaluable for what they are. I mean, it's a huge collection of experience and knowledge, um, you know, from real life. Um, and that's what people need. Absolutely. And I think that the more, the more resources that you have at your disposal, the better. I mean, I think it's, you know, if, if I was talking to someone today who, who found out that they had cancer, I would say use every tool you can at your disposal 
to to help yourself. You read books, go to forums. You mentioned Facebook groups. Um, you know, I'm sure there's there's other resources out there. I think people should use whatever whatever they can, shouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's plenty of people willing to help that have been there before. You know, I, I think the forums are, are really good because I, I think there's a high level level of education uh, and experience on there. Again, not belittling Facebook groups at all, but I've been on there and seen some responses, and it, it's just worrisome at some point. Where when I'm going through the forums, I mean, I see every post. Um, I don't always comment because if I comment on every post, then it's Mike's forums, not the testicular <laughs> cancer forum. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I don't always interject. Um, I certainly do if I see something that appears to be misinformation, but it's very rare uh, when going through these forums that I even see that. Yeah, I guess this is in the forums because there's just been people who've been around for a while now and they mix with new people. It just has much more of a community feel there. Well, and I think it's even kind of a self-learning process, you know, where if there's a post and there's five responses uh, on Facebook, there might be 15 responses. and six of them or 10 of them are just out there. Um, they're talking about one type of testicular cancer when the person has a different one or, you know, they just don't totally have the grasp of knowledge. I think the people on the forums, because they've been there for a while uh, and because it's, it's less to absorb and they're absorbing good information back, uh, I just think the quality is much higher. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say about, like, um, I definitely believe that it really helped me to be, like, really in the know about what's going on at every stage of the way. Like, yes, it, it was great to have, for example, um, you know, my urologist and then my oncologist, but it really helped me to combine that with also, like, firsthand ex experience of people like yourself on the forums who really helped me learn so much more all of this yeah, you know, additional information as well as perspective. So what do you think about that, about um, people getting that mix of, I guess, specialist knowledge, but also real-life first-hand experience of people who went down that road before? I think they go hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, you know, when you're going through the diagnostic process uh, and you're trying to get staged, um, you know, having someone be able to say to you, okay, well, the biggest key of information right now is a CT scan. And then after that, it's going to be your tumor markers. And then it's going to come down to what the pathology actually says. And also being able to say at the same time, you know, your pathology shouldn't take any more than, than three days. And your CT scan really should be ready tomorrow. Um, you can go get the information yourself because it's an, an anxious hurry up and wait period. Um, you're rushing through everything and then you're waiting for those results to come back, which can create an incredible amount of anxiety. And especially if you don't have a physician that's on top of things and wants to move quickly for you, uh, they'll say, okay, go get a CT scan, see me in a week. Go do this, see me in a week. And it's like, no, 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 let's, let's, let's see you two days from now. Um, you know, <laughs> let's, let's hurry this up. Yeah. At least call and let me know what the information is. Uh, so I'm not sitting here fretting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what, Mike? I remember like in one of your posts when you, you, you were talking about driving your friend for to, to her cancer treatments i think two hours two hours each way like did you find it emotionally rewarding was, was it tiring was was it draining what was that like no no so it, it was a friend of mine who relapsed with brain cancer and um actually it was one of the biggest pleasures of my life um she ended up passing away um but to be able to to, to take her to her 
physical therapy or to radiation treatments was incredibly rewarding. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I kind of put myself uh, through that process of, of making peace uh, with my life. And, you know, I feel like I was very well able to help her along the way as well. Um, so it, it's one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, a two-hour drive each way was nothing, really. <laughs> That's great, Mike. And I also remember that there was like this amazing post of someone, uh, I think they were uh, going through stage two or stage three of, uh, of testicular cancer, and they were ready to give up. And the doctor said that it, it was going to be too difficult to operate. And I remember that you recommended a specialist in a different city um, to get a second opinion. And that person followed your advice and, and, they, and they went through with the operation. And I remember that person being completely over the moon. Like that's, that's really incredible, Mike. Like how does that make you feel like being able to make such a difference to someone's life? Uh, it, it was pretty exciting when I, I, when he sent the response back that, uh, and, and kind of filled us in and what was going on. Yeah. He, um, I guess he originally asked his oncologist, uh, to go to one of the two physicians that I recommended. Um, one I've met in actually. I believe both I met in person, but one I, I, I'm much more social with. But I, I knew that they knew their stuff. And uh, I guess his physician did or didn't. I don't know. He had a, a local surgeon. The surgeon wasn't able to remove all the cancer in his abdomen and sent him home to die. Uh, and he decided that, well, I have nothing to lose. I'm just going to contact the doctor, Mike said. Um, and uh, within two weeks, he was in the doctor's office, um, saw that Dr. Surgeon, who was able to remove 100% of the cancer and he was cured, uh, he was amazed that the doctor, that the specialist I mentioned, was 700 kilometers away, which for a guy in the U.S., you're probably wondering why I say kilometers. Well, it's because the patient was in Australia. Uh, and I recommended uh, either one doctor in Melbourne or another doctor in Sydney. Uh, so to be able to do that um, literally from the other side of the world really was exciting for me. Um, you know, lucky with like the American Society of Clinical Oncology that I've been able to meet these physicians uh, at the annual meeting. Uh, there's also uh, what's called G3 of the Global Germ Cell Group. Uh, and these physicians are part of that. Um, did I get the pleasure of going to those meetings as well? So uh, it just all worked out you know, in an absolutely fantabulous way. <laughs> fantabulous. That's a, and that really is a perfect way to describe it, Mike. Absolutely. <laughs> Mike, I know that sometimes people on the forum have clear false alarms. And, you know, does this annoy you or do, do you believe that the forum is for everyone, not just for people who, who are really sick? No, I mean, you know, the, the key is early detection uh, in treatment. So, you know, if someone comes in and they, they feel a lump and, you know, it, it really from whatever they're describing is a pimple on the scrotum and not a testicular cancer, uh, they're still scared. They're still worried. You know, we can't really tell them that it's a pimple on their scrotum and not testicular cancer. Um, but certainly being able to, to try to guide them in to, to get to a doctor, to get checked out, to hopefully get a scrotal ultrasound is key. Um, you know, there's also really a, a healthcare anxiety. Um, you know, you say hypochondriac. Um, there is a huge anxiety. Uh, and, you know, some people it takes a lot of convincing to. Uh, some people, their questions been answered, you know, 15 times already this year and they didn't search through. 
but regardless, it's okay. They have a question, they need an answer. Uh, if they would rather, you know, type it in and, and, and get an answer from everybody, that that's great. Um, you know, it's not just for those diagnosed. It, and, and it's usually for the caregivers as well. As you see, there's so many women that are on the forums. You know, it's it really is for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And um, speaking of anxiety, I know that one thing that comes up for me personally is the fear of, of cancer coming back. Uh, did that happen to you? And, and, and if so, like, what would you recommend to someone uh, dealing with cancer in terms of how they can deal with it in a better way? Well, I, I don't think the fear of it coming back ever really goes away. Um, I think it gets easier with time. Uh, I know for my three-year checkup, which is a pretty big one for seminoma, I was reading through my CT results. I would always get my results before I went back into my doctor. So I would know what questions to ask instead of being shocked by what I was told. Um, and I was, I was reading through, it said uh, interval increase in size is, and then it skipped down to the next line, not seen. Um, and, and from the end of one line to the beginning of the next, you know, I, I about crap myself, uh, <laughs> thinking interval is seen, um, instead it is not seen. I even, I worked with the radiologist, so I, I even made fun of them and said, listen, you got to change your dictation. So it all falls on one line. This is, <laughs> this is too nerve wracking. Um, I mean, really, I, I think is someone that's diagnosed having a realistic expectation of what your your risk of relapse is, I, I think is important. Uh, having knowledge of that, I, I think a lot of guys don't. Um, you know, they don't know what the risk of relapse is. It's stage one disease or after chemotherapy or after chemo and RPL and D, uh, what the odds of it coming back in the second testicle are. Um, you know, they get a headache and they think, oh my gosh, it's gone to my brain, which would be extremely rare, rare. Um, you know, to occur without some disease in the abdomen and, and lungs. So I think that is key. Uh, and I think really for stage one disease, for example, uh, taking a look at the numbers and seeing that greater than 99% of guys live for 15 years uh, survival rate. I mean, it's basically almost 100% cure. Uh, and if you look at the guys that, that actually had stage one testicular cancer that pass away, um, it's many pass away from alcohol is they do from testicular cancer and the treatment. Uh, many, many more pass away from other cancers uh, or cardiovascular disease or lung disease. Um, so our experience tells us the biggest challenge that we've had is our testicular cancer diagnosis. And I always kind of look at it as, you know, what is the next big challenge I'm going to face? You know, um, yeah, could this be the biggest challenge in my life so far? The testicular cancer, I've always thought that. Five months after my diagnosis, I got dengue fever. Um, you know, my odds of dying acutely from dengue fever were much higher than dying acutely of testicular cancer. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I think putting in a perspective uh, helps a little bit. Knowing that, that they call it uh, conditional survival. You know, for every two years you live, your odds of living the next two years go up. And no matter what the stage is. Um, I just think making sure you have a perspective, uh, is really key. Um, and then if there's anxieties, you know, what can be done about it? Is it something that's effect affecting your daily activities? Um, you know, then you probably need to go talk to someone. Um, there's also the, the new program there that came out of Australia, the e-tc.org, uh, that's helping guys kind of, uh, you know, readjust to life after diagnosis. Um, that's something that they can try. 
Yeah, um, and sometimes I think that the biggest thing is to realize that some things are normal. So you know, a, a lot of guys are, uh, I think, can have anxiety because they have peripheral neuropathy, and it's a constant reminder that they've had cancer. Uh, but when they realize that, yeah, just about everybody else that's received chemotherapy has that as well. It's normal. Uh, I think that can put some, the mind at ease a little bit as well. Yeah, and I guess uh, like probably for yourself. I know that it does for me. Um, like going to the forum and, and seeing other people, I guess that helps put things into perspective as well, right? Yeah, it certainly does. Seeing that you're not the only one that's having these fears uh, is big. What's really kind of amazing to me right now is that the, the most recent research looking at survivorship uh, shows that really the fear of infertility or being able to be a father is just as high and as severe as the fear of recurrence. Wow. Um, which is flabbergasting because you would think, okay, well, just go to a fertility doctor and, and check your sperm count, you know, a year or two after chemotherapy, uh, and at least put your mind at ease or confirm it, you know, yep. uh, it, it, that's, that, that's a lot simpler than, you know, getting over the fear of recurrence. Um, but it's amazing that those are the two biggest things that are really affecting survivorship as far as, you know, as a, a really a fear and anxiety standpoint. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing. Uh, I didn't know that. So, Mike, also, what is your perspective on on living a healthy lifestyle? Like, what would you what would you recommend in terms of keeping in a good shape physically, um, mentally? Is it a diet? Is it exercise? What would, what would you say? Well, I you know, as I mentioned before, testicular cancer survivors have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. They have a higher risk of metabolic syndrome. Certainly, leading a healthy lifestyle um, is never a bad idea. Um, is it, in the long run, going to make a difference with your cancer coming back? No. Uh, is it going to keep you from passing away from complications uh, or, you know, like I said, cardiovascular disease? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, I, I think there are also limits to it. Um, there was a great book actually written uh, by Matthew car out of Australia called Battle Scars. If you haven't read it, take a read. It's pretty good. Um, but in it, he was getting up every morning. He was big into, into Eastern medicine, I guess it is, and um, martial arts, for lack of a better term. And uh, he was getting up every morning and, and drinking his own urine. And then when his cancer relapsed, he kind of slapped himself in the face thinking, was I seriously, <laughs> did I think drinking my own urine every morning was going to, was going to keep my cancer away. What was I thinking? Um, so I do, I do say that there's, that's a great story. You know, there, there's certain limits to what you want to do. Uh, but certainly having a, a reasonable diet and exercise, I think is a good idea. Cool. Thanks Mike. And but, but, uh, one last thing to add it, you know, people always talk about like antioxidants. And so one of the things you have to look at, especially when you're on chemotherapy is, you know, people want to load up on all these antioxidants, go to the, the nutrition store and get everything they possibly can. Well, the problem is that the chemotherapy creates free radicals to, to kill the cancer cells. Um, so, you know, when you do anything too much, I guess, in a zealot pathway, um, I always kind of caution, you know, maybe turn it back in a little bit. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. And, and if, if you had a minute to, with someone who recently was diagnosed with with some type of cancer, what would you tell them? Well, I guess it depends on the type of cancer. Um, I think overall is is relax, take a deep breath, get some perspective and knowledge. 
um, because I, I think anxiety and uh, maybe hysteria, for lack of a better word, um, can take over uh, and, and really cripple you uh, without kind of more critically thinking about what you're facing. Um, and I, I don't mean to be slight at all, but, um, you know, I heard one time that, uh, you know, cancer has a 50% mortality rate. Well, yeah, overall, uh, the good news is, is that, well, 50% of you are going to die of something else. Um, so <laughs> you know, not to be too flippant, but you know, that kind of puts things into perspective. Now, obviously each individual case is going to be different. Uh, but really taking a breath, figuring out what you're facing and figuring out where you're going to get the best care. Um, I, I think that's really the, the biggest thing. Um, you know, some people, unfortunately, I have to talk to and, and have to explain, you know, you're probably going to be better off getting things in order. This doesn't look real good. Um, there doesn't really seem to be any options. Um, you know, and you've talked to the top experts, you know, so that pathway is different. But the initial diagnosis uh, really is just kind of knowledge and perspective. Thanks, Mike. And if someone wanted to find out more about your journey or maybe learn about Testicular Cancer Society and the forum, what would they do? I uh, really just visit our website. So our main website is testicularcancersociety.org. Uh, and then the forums are at tc-cancer.com. Uh, and there's a tab on there. Uh, th that whole website, we actually need, well, we need to redo both our websites. They're kind of old. But, um, you know, the forums on the tc-cancer.com are really the most valuable resource on there. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. 